Kings. Let me tell you what chapter I have to check again. 2 Kings chapter number 10. Yeah, go ahead. Turn, turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter number 10. As you're turning there, uh, my mom recently, uh, well, I say recently, I guess last year, the time just kind of goes fast, doesn't it? Last year, my mom celebrated her 60th birthday. And for her 60th birthday, I said, Mom, I want to take you out. She always wanted to go to Washington, D.C. So we got, you know, I tried to get some of her friends and stuff together for this trip. And as we went for the trip, uh, Mom didn't have many requests, but she only had one, and I was not able to honor it, but I tried the best I could. If you don't know my mom, but my mom hates animals. Like, like I mean, growing up, there was no dog, there was no cat, there was even a fish, you know? Like, my mom could not stand animals. And so for a little while, the aquarium, because my dad wanted it, <laughs> that we did have. However, when we got there, she said, I want to go on a trip, but let me just let you know something. I don't want to see no dogs in that hotel. I said, Mom, you don't understand. Like, like that's just the way the world works. We have dogs in Walmart, Mom. Like, I, I don't really think that, I mean, if the person pays the pet, whatever, then you can have a pet inside the hotel. I don't want to see no dogs, Adrian. I took her on the trip. And I told her I went to Homewood Suites, and I was like, hey, the room was good, and so everything was great, so we're going everything, and we go to the hotel, we get on the elevator, we had not seen a dog, and then as soon as the elevator door is closing, somebody stuck their hand out, and then in came a lady with Fido. My mom, I could look at her as she was crawling in the corner of the elevator as she's staring at this dog that's inside the elevator. As we are, we're going back to the room. I was like, Mom, come on. It's just a dog. Like, Mom, it's not a big deal. Now, it's interesting because my mom said it like this. I don't want to see any animal inside of the hotel that I am staying. She said it quite Quite that blunt too as well. <laughs> and as she was having that conversation with me, now, it's interesting. We would look at that situation and be like, mm, Mom, your mom would be a little extra, isn't she? You know? Like, seriously, it's, it's just dog. Now, I think there's something interesting about this comment that my mom made. When she said the fact, when she said, I don't want to see an animal. There is an animal inside the hotel. Do you know that's a factual statement? I mean, it's a fact dog is an animal, right? But we know in our society today, it's a domesticated animal. It's, it's not that big of a deal. It's a dog. Now, what if this happened? Now, we're inside the hotel, and as we're standing there, the, clo- the door's getting ready to close. Somebody sticks their hand out, and they stop it, and this person walks, and they have tied around the neck a, uh, a raccoon or something like that, right? And as she br- the person walks inside, come here, little racky, you know, and they get inside, and they, they stand there, and we're going up the elevator. What would we say? There's an animal inside of this, inside this hotel, right? And both are factually true. But the difference between it is one is not domesticated and one is. You say, Adrian, what's your point? See, here's, here's the thought that I was really wrestling with the Lord speaking to me about. I think you're familiar with idolatry. Idolatry is that where something that is created comes above the creator. But I want to speak on this specifically tonight. Domesticated idolatry. Idolatry that's so normal, but unless you really think about it, it's not even seeing me be idolatry. It's just a dog. Like it's, 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 it's really not that big of a I mean, everyone in our culture thinks this way. Everyone in my friend group, peer group, that's what we do. 
And sometimes, during a time where we have concentrated time around the Word of God, it's pretty hypocritical or duplicitous to say, Word of God, speak, and we're not ready to hear what he has to say. I want to go through a story in Scripture, and I only have one point. But in 2 Kings chapter number 10, what we're going to do is a story that is somewhat familiar, and quite honestly, I'm just going to make sure that I am a faithful, make sure to let you know what happens in the story. I'm not saying I like what happens. I'm not saying I'm the big proponent. I'm just reporting to you what takes place here in this passage of Scripture in 2 Kings chapter number 10. But verse number 28 is where we're going to be reading where Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. But in 2 Kings chapter 10 verse 28. That's the verse. We're going to come back to that, but let me make sure you understand the context of what is taking place in this story. Some of you are familiar with a guy by the name of Ahab and a lady by the name of Jezebel. They worship Baal, Baal, however some people say, I say Baal, Baal worship, a worship of another god. Well, Jehu had the task of ridding Baal worship from out of the land. As he was getting ready, the Bible says that Jehu fiercely went after it. So when he said, you know what? Baal worship is going to add. So what I'm going to start with, Ahab's sons. And so he goes out with his team of guys, and he's going to kill all of Ahab's sons because the sons most might, might be taking the baton of Baal worship into Israel. So he shows up to the city where the sons live. There's a lady who said, what do you want, Jehu? We do not want any trouble. He says, I don't care. I'm, not, I, I'm going to take care of my task. My task is this. I want the sons of Ahab dead. She says, will you leave us alone? If we bring out the sons of Ahab, yes, I'll leave your city alone, but you got to bring them out. They literally set the basket out there with the heads of the sons of Ahab the next day. I didn't say I liked the story. I'm just telling you what the story happened. I see Ahab's like, well, first, Ahab's sons, check. Jezebel, check. He took his chariot, rides over to Jezebel's castle. He looks up to where she's doing her makeup, doing her hair, whatever she's doing. She looks at the eunuchs who are standing by and said, hey, look, I'm coming for her. Throw her down. (laughs) They did. They throw her down from the palace roof. I mean, from the palace, second story. She dares on the concrete. Jehu doesn't even pay her mind. He walks into the house. He then has a meal (laughs) prepared by Jezebel's chef and people that served her. Then, as he's cleaning up his face, he says, let me go and bury this woman. But by the time he comes back to bury her, the Bible says the dogs have eaten her. Now, you say, terrible. I'm just reporting the story. Then, on top of that, he says, okay, Baal followers. So, here's what he does. He pretends to be a Baal worshiper himself. He comes to the people of Israel and says, Hey, look, guys, I worship Baal. You should wor- you, you worshipers of Baal, you did had to hide. Don't hide anymore, guys. Come to me. He fills this auditorium of sorts with Baal worshipers. He then takes four score, what, 80? <laughs> he takes 80 people that work for Jehu. They guard every door as soon as the service begins. He tells the men, I want an utter annihilation of every person in this room. And if a person gets by you, I will kill you for allowing them to get by you. Jay was a bad dude. I mean, brutal. If you ask people about Jay Hugh and Israel, they'd have been like, he's getting the job done, but you know, like that's not the way we would have gone about it. But it's interesting as then on top of it, as if Jehu is like already not on your good list, 
He goes to the, where the slaughter has taken place inside this temple. He goes to the most precious part, which we would call like our pulpit, altar, baptistry, something special, iconic. And he goes and he removes where that altar to Baal was. And what he does is he builds a draught house. What is it? He builds a porta potty literally for travelers that are passing by. So he burns the building down, takes the pulpit area, and makes it a porta potty This guy's brutal. I want you to read something. <laughs> Second Kings chapter number 10, verse 28. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. Yes, he did. <laughs> verse 29. How be it? It's interesting. From the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from after them. To wit, the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. And the Lord said unto Jehu, listen closely to this, folks. Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and hast done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. For he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. Provocative story. Wow. But let's look at it here from Scripture. There's something huge for us to learn. Because sometimes we can passionately go after the idolatry of others and ignore the idolatry of our own selves. Let's pray as we begin. God, help me to be your vessel to be able to help the folks that are here. I do not know the needs of Wilton Baptist Church. I do not know the business. Lord, I just come as a vessel striving to be submitted to you, to be a help to the people that have gathered here. Pray that you would empty me of myself the best way I know how. God, and I pray as well that um, if I'm not even where I'm supposed to be spiritually, mentally, or whatever it is, preparation-wise, that you still bless your word in spite of me. Lord, I desire that your word speaks. Lord, please, just if nothing else, if it was just between me and you and these folks were not hearing a corporate prayer, Lord, you know my heart, though, that I desire that you are glorified during this time. Lord, I pray that you are, use your word in a way to speak to us. Thank you for all that you've done and all that you will do. In Christ, we pray it all. Amen. So this story, as we've kind of gone through, so basically you've seen that, obviously, Jehu took Baal worship out of Israel. Then something crazy happens. God blesses him significantly. So I have only one point. It takes me a minute. If you've never heard me preach, I usually only have one point. But it takes me a long time to get to that one point. <laughs> but, but it's basically just one thing to think through, just a little phrase most of the time. And as we go through it, though, I make two observations, though. It's interesting as I was just reading this that we just first have to understand is that Jehu actually did all that he did. Do you know what God did? God blessed him. Do you know what happened? The Bible says this. That his kids for the third and fourth generation were on the throne of Israel. Like, it's insane. Like, okay, I know family's big to us, but take what you think of how precious your family is and multiply it by 10 would have been in this Near Eastern culture. Most people at any given point could be able to tell you their great-grandparents going back 13 generations. I mean, just, just on the fly. Why? Because your name is how you got your inheritance. <laughs> your name is how you knew your status in society. Your name meant something in that time. And so, of course, you knew your family tree pretty well. And so when you are then given something awesome like this, where it's like most parents want to make sure their kids are set, that their desire is that after they leave, they, then their kids are in a better spot. God gave them a promise. Three to four generations are going to be on the throne. You show me how many times that happens in Scripture, 
where God gives him something incredible. So I just have to make this observation, whether it makes me uncomfortable or not uncomfortable. I mean, comfortable or not, the Bible's the observation I make is Jehu was blessed extensively, and still clearly he did not wholeheartedly fall out to the Lord. Don't put words in my mouth. I'm just making sure you understand because clearly it says in verse number 31, Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all of his heart. So, so, so here's, here's what I want us first to think about. It's like many times, in, especially in spiritualizing things, we can make an explanation for anything. If something good happens to a good person, we can say it's a blessing. If something bad happens to a good person, then we say the rain falls on the just and the unjust. If a bad person, if something good happens to a bad person, then we can say, like, well, you know, he's only going to enjoy it for a season. If a bad thing happens to a bad person, then we say, so what you read? We got an explanation for everything. <laughs> so we, like, here's the bottom line. God can do whatever he wants. <laughs> He does whatever he wants. He does not have to go to the court of my public opinion, the court of my appeal. Now you say, Adrian, okay, then okay, this this then brings some ramifications or whatever situation. I am just want to make sure from this discussion is this is that my human success is independent, it does not give a full picture of my spiritual well-being. Okay? My human success does not give a full picture of my spiritual well-being. Just because somebody has more money than this does not mean that this person's up here on the spiritual rung and this person is down here. It is a fact that the Bible says that even for ministry, those who do some 30-fold, some 40-fold, some 50-fold, it's not going to be the same. It's going to be different. Now, you say, Adrian, why do you make this observation? Because to make the one point, I do believe that making this observation is very much very important to understand the sovereignty that God is in control. Now, with that being said, that means I put, I don't try to explain or wiggle that in that time, in that culture, for Jehu to make that little place a porta potty was really okay. Man, it was messed up. God chose to still bless his mess up by letting his kids stay on the throne. But let me not say that. Now I have my battle plans of what we're going to do <laughs> to our enemies. It doesn't give the whole spiritual picture. That's the only point. Now, keep on going. Now, one, one other observation before we get to the point, right? Now, it's interesting, though, if you look in verse, let's see, how be it from the sins, verse 29, how be it from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from after them. Hmm. To wit, the golden cats that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. So, okay, so we got to understand about how many years ago was this? 110 years ago. Okay, so here's Jehu's timeline. 110 years ago, when first off, when Israel split up between the north and the south, south kingdom. The southern kingdom obviously has Jerusalem, and the north kingdom, Jeroboam made an observation. Hey, every year, guess what's happening? All these people from my kingdom are tracking down here to go to Jerusalem to worship God. Every year, these people are leaving north. That's not going to help morale of the north. <laughs> so what does he do? I got enough money to buy me some priests, and I can build me a temple. So what does he do? He does. He builds one in the north, and he builds one in the south. He builds these large golden calves. And as now Jeroboam's built these calves, 
What happened is people stopped worshiping Jerusalem in the north. When they start worshiping, they started worshiping there. At, I mean, supposed to be going to Jerusalem, but now they're worshiping there at the north in Israel. Now, the difference is this. I don't think anybody's going to argue the fact that worshiping a golden calf is not a good idea. Think that. But after 110 years of everybody doing it, you know what happened? You know, you know, I know that we probably shouldn't worship that golden calf. But my grandma did it. She's a good lady. You ain't going to tell me she ain't a good lady. You ain't going to tell me that now. Because, I mean, and she worshiped. I mean, she couldn't get over there. I mean, you know how sick she was. She couldn't get all the way down to Jerusalem. She, she stayed there in Dan. She stayed there in those places, and she worshiped. And so for all those years, even though it wasn't a golden calf, and even though it wasn't good, and even though it probably shouldn't have happened, I mean, I'm just saying, you're not going to tell me she's not a good person. You know, and what took place is it became an ultra justification of what we knew they knew was an idolatrous relationship because they knew good people their kids are doing well. I mean, they, they seem to be got it going on. Everything seems to be working in their favor, and they do fill in the blank. Why on earth, what would be a big deal if we all do fill in the blank? As you go through this story, it was interesting. Jeroboam had such fierce hatred for what we thought was idol worship, but really he didn't. He just hated the popular bad idol worship. But he didn't have a distaste for all idol worship because clearly God says, what does he say in the last verse that I just read? But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. So what I'm saying is I make the, the observation that Jeroboam was against idolatry, but he was fine with domesticated idolatry. All right, that's where the text is. That's what the story's about. One point and I'm done. It's very simple, the one point. And I want on this Friday night for us to really think about this. When God said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, He means it. He means it. You know, I, you say, Man alive, talk about starting off with a hammer to us. Hey, you're not, I, I just want to be that. Let there be a challenge of my own being and my own heart. God does not share his glory with anything, anyone. God is the preeminent self-existent being of the universe. When I even say his name of Adonai, I mean it's even almost in a way antithetical without my face being on the ground because as the words leave my mouth, it shows forth that he alone is deserving of the glory. He is the Elohim. He is the being that there is no greater strength on the planet in the universe there's nothing that I could possibly conceive in my human mind that is greater than God. Sometimes it's easy to let my view of how I see that self-existing God become so small and others become so large. You know, um, I, I'm, not, I was get, I'm getting ready to preach at a 
um, a young adult conference. And the verse I believe that is often overlooked is in Psalms about those that add multiply sorrows or those that hasten after other gods. And many times I usually only preach it in that circumstance as far as because usually I see boyfriend, girlfriend relationships exalt themselves to the level of God. And so therefore, you're hastening after another God. Therefore, you are going to multiply yourself with extra sorrows because God should have that priority. And you're trying to take a relationship and fulfill you that only God is supposed to fulfill you. God should be your sufficiency. And he gives somebody else to help you now to let your light shine for him. But as I was thinking of it in the side of a context of those that are young adults coming along, I think about it in my own life that how often Adrian's hastening after another God. Let me explain. It doesn't take long for this one point, but I do want you to make sure that you fully understand. So I work at a, um, a shelter for homeless men, emergency men's homeless shelter. And I mean, let's see here. Two people, one guy came in last week, got shot, came in literally in his hospital gown because with the homeless population and different things that are taking place, I mean, literally, hospital gown, crutches, bullet just literally pulled out of his hip. Another guy is in Washington fighting for his life, got shot. So, I mean, so, I mean you see a lot of crazy stories in a, and you see a lot of addictions. And so here is interesting because I kind of talk a lot to the city officials and stuff about what we do at the mission. And it's interesting because usually the overall perspective of the homeless community has really just been like, go get a job, right? Go get a job. And of course, many times, sometimes that's the case. But then, I, you know, it's actually interesting <laughs> when, when I go to this. Do you know that we have formal, former NFL players that come to the mission? You know that we have people that have careers in the Air Force and other places? And then it came interesting because actually most people are two bad decisions away from being homeless. Do something to mess up your relationship with your family and do something to mess up your job. You are homeless because you have no place to go if you have no family. You can couch surf but only so long. You lose your job, lose your income, you are homeless. So, so when I began then to put some of these dots interestingly together, see, I began to watch the harshness that came down to the addictions that were then that many people time is binding the people in those situations. Usually strong, um, strong drug addictions, strong alcohol addictions that are taking place that need God's, the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ to help break those chains and thank God we're in the, we have the opportunity to help in that process. But here is what we cannot do with domesticated idolatry, is we cannot then be addicted to what we consider to be the honorable things of our society. We can't come to a position in our life, like, this will be a clear one, an older person look at the young person, oh, they got their face in their phone, they got their face always in their phone. Man, I tell you what, people can't even walk around because they got their face in their phone. Now let me go home and watch eight hours of the news, <laughs> you know? Like, basically, it's like, like, come on. An addiction is an addiction, bro. You know, like, oh, those guys couldn't, couldn't put that liquor bottle to save their lives. I tell you what, they just addicted the day as well. And yet you couldn't set a cup of coffee down or you could not stop sugar to save your life. An addiction is addiction. Does one cause more consequences? Absolutely. Do not say I'm putting in the same bar. What I'm saying is that sometimes just because it's domesticated doesn't make it right. Because <laughs> culturally, if it's okay... Sometimes we just say, well, it's okay. You know, I, for me, it takes a moment when I then have to step back. Missions did that for me. 
Um, when I realized, man, the great idol to which I had, an observation that I would take young people and I would take them over to missions trips across the country, and I listened to people give testimonies after they'd been out of the country. And it was unique. I got a testimony that was pretty standard from most people who left the United States and came back here to the United States. It was a very similar testimony. The testimony would be something to the effect of, I was thankful to go see a lot. Wow, it was a lot to see. I'm really thankful for our country. I'm thankful where we live. But you know one thing that really stood out to me is I went to all these places, and they really had nothing. They had, like, nothing. I mean, they had lived in a barn, lived in, lived in like, a shack, like, pallets piled together. And they were so happy. And they were just so happy. Like, I, when I saw that, people who didn't know each other, people had never discussed their testimonies, again, that testimony, again, that testimony, again, that testimony, again. Do you know, I realized that, you know, I, I'll say for me, I'm not going to say for the entire United States. Isn't that a weird for us to make that observation? It's a very Laodicean statement to make because of this reason. Wow. How could they be happy and not have stuff? Wow. How could they, how could they smile and live in a house like that? My friend, aren't we believers and know that this is not our home? Now, I, I, my heart grieves, and yes, I wish they had probably a house like, I, I'm sure, but wouldn't it make sense that a person who has Christ can be happy? A person who has Christ, their greatest need is not just more electricity and more toys so they can become like us. <laughs> the great need is that Jesus can supply joy unspeakable and hope that is beyond this world. And it took me going to another country to realize maybe my faith hasn't been in God. Maybe my faith has been in my stuff. Then in COVID, God touched my stuff. I about lost my mind. You know what God did? He showed me my actual God. My actual God wasn't him. It was the giver of the stuff. I just, just ask a fair prayer. Fair prayer for this Friday night is this. God, is there anything that I've not intentionally but unknowingly have let become greater than you? Simply put, is there any domesticated worship of something else other than you. I know you don't know me. <laughs> Might not be your friend. <laughs> but I would like for you to at least somebody be spiritually minded. Word of God speak. This is an opportunity now. Will I listen to what God then speaks to me about? Can we do this? Can we just take a moment? Time of reflection and prayer. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes just for a moment? I know sometimes during this time you, with this it's often called an invitation and different